Good morning, first service. How we doing? Everybody glad to be in church today? Come on. <laughs> Listen, if, uh, if you're new to Connect, my name is Pastor Derek, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here, and it's a privilege to be with you in church today. In fact, I want to welcome all of you, and I also want to welcome all our online viewers. Can you give them a big kind of warm welcome as well? Thank you for being with us, watching from wherever you're watching from. We're so glad you're in church with us today. Well, we're going to get into a new series today, and I'm really excited. I always get amped, um, you know, when we're kicking off a new series. It's kind of a lot of work to kind of birth a new idea and then and develop it over several weeks. So over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about uh, some stuff that I think is really relevant to where you are, where I am in our faith journey. Can I have an amen? amen. Uh, before I do that, I just want to highlight a few things. Um, this is kind of like what they call PD time, just a little emphasis, making sure we're all tracking and paying attention and uh, know some things that are coming up. Uh, first of all, today is our small group sign-up, so I hope you guys are excited about small groups. Uh, yeah, it's, it's great. So we're just under 40, 40 small groups this semester. We've got all kinds of groups all over the place that are taking place, and I'm a small group leader. I lead from the front. I, I believe in small groups. It changed my life. I wouldn't be a pastor today if it wasn't for small groups, and so if you want to join mine, come on out. It's at 7.45 in the morning. And I would have made it earlier, but the whole planet would resist. But, uh, but anyway, small groups today, and, and there's, it's just like uh, going to be great. After church today, you can have lunch for breakfast because Snappy Dogs is in the house, right? Come on. So that's a big popular thing at Connect. If you're listening online, you just got to gum because Snappy Dogs is where it's at. Um, in addition, uh, I wanted to let you know of an update from last week. Last week, we highlighted... Um, some of our brothers and sisters within the ARC, the Association of Related Churches of which we are affiliated, we consider them family. Um, they are um, different places in the country were, were being affected by Hurricane Harvey. I'm going to start with that hurricane. Hurricane Harvey, of course, hit Texas very hard. 22 of our, our, our brothers and sisters in, uh, in the spiritual family that we're in were hit. Um, one of those churches, I'm an overseer. I'm a pastor to one of those churches. And so we uh, sent funds directly to that local church uh, last week. And they're literally hand-delivering resources. So the things, because you're a tither at Connect, we were, and because of the offering that you brought last week, um, we're able to do things that are literally like right to the front door of people. So I wanted you to know that Hurricane Harvey was ministered to, and I want to give you guys a big hand for contributing to that and making that a reality. Thank you. Uh, we're going to send another check next week in Jesus' name, and so I want to encourage you to continue to give to that. Uh, you can just mark your envelope, Hurricane uh, Irma, <laughs> this time, uh, because our next check that we'll send next week will go down to Florida. I have friends all over Florida, even more friends in Florida than I do Texas. Our church is very connected down there. Um, I speak down there on a regular basis. Uh, one of our closest friends, Pastor Randy Bizet, who my family vacations with, they're, they're in shelters right now. Uh, Q, uh, Pastor Q, some of you guys know he'll be here in October. He's in a shelter with his family right now. And so this is a real thing. And so I just want to encourage you. I was texting till the wee hours of the night with my friends, just making, ministering to uh, their kids and their family because they were scared and they were afraid. And so I just want you guys to know this is something that you can disconnect from very, very easily. And there could come a day where we have a need and we want to sow to the situation so that we can reap in the time when we have a need. Can I have an amen? I mean, we could have a nor'easter, like, you know, if we had, if we had as much rain turned to snow up here, how many know? We'd be underground. You know what I'm saying? So we need to sow. So I want to encourage you, if you think you might have a need someday, sow. And I promise you we're going to give all of that uh, to that need. 100% will go to that. Also, uh, everybody say also. Here comes something else. 
You guys know that we have a relationship that we've established, some of you know, if you're, if you're new, you might not, in Pakistan. That's in the Middle East. Uh, we, uh, we've kind of connected with a, a pastor, Pastor John Javet, and his wife, Rachel John. She takes the husband's first name as her last name. That's how they do it in the Middle East. They, we're actually flying them from Pakistan this coming weekend. And so uh, we'll be into a week of prayer starting this week. You'll get a text about that and information about that, a whole week of prayer. It'll culminate on Sunday night. So our normal last of the month Sunday night service will be next Sunday night. And we're going to have Pastor John preach to us here, right here in this auditorium. And it'll be a healing and miracle service. He is used kind of as a revivalist. If you go onto his website... Uh, consuming Fires is the name of his ministry. How many know somebody's on fire for God when they name their ministry Consuming Fire? Anyway, you can see for yourself some of the things that happen through this uh, man of God and his, and his wife who are ministering to thousands in Pakistan. And so he's going to be here. For some reason, he likes us, and uh, praise God for that. And then we're going to take an offering, uh, and so where we're going to give him, we're going to basically give money so that he can buy Bibles for all the people that they're winning to Jesus. So he's not asked for money for himself. He's just asked for money to give Bibles to the new believers uh, that are being won to Christ there. So next week in the morning and night service, we'll make some, and also online, an opportunity for you to be able to give uh, to the Pakistan Bible Fund, okay? So I don't know what we'll call it, but I'm just naming it that right now. Okay, so that's happening next week. How many excited about what God's doing in our church? Amen. Amen. So cool. So cool. So it's going to be an exciting week. Exciting, exciting week. But let's get into today's service. Uh, the message today in the series today is called Stuck. We're going to talk about bitter, bitter, bitter to better, bitter to better. Amen. Now, if you're married, uh, I'll start with just a little uh, crack the crowd thing because some of you are just looking at me like a cow at a new gate. And... Uh, you know, I heard about a husband and wife that were both uh, celebrating the same birthday. They were celebrating their 60th birthday, so they were so excited. And, um, and they wanted to do something special, but they didn't have the means to do so. And so the wife, she literally just says her prayer out loud. She says, God, I just, I just wish me and my husband could go on a cruise for, for my birthday. As soon as she said that, poof, they were in a, they were in a cruise ship. And, 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 and the husband was like, God, this is amazing, like, you just speak something out, you just declare it, and you get it, and here we are on a cruise. And so he kind of goes off into a corner where his wife can't see what's going on, and he says, God, I always wanted to marry somebody 30 years younger than me. <laughs> Poof, he was 90 years old. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Anyway, anyway, what's going on right here? I don't know how that happened. Did I do that? Let's see. Oh, Bam. I got control of my iPad. That's all. So anyway, be careful what you wish for. That's the moral of the story, everybody. So listen, if you find yourself stuck, if you find yourself stuck, you're in this place, maybe a transition, a spot where you feel stuck, this series is going to be for you, for you, because sometimes life throws us a detour. But God has a good plan for us, does he not? In fact, he says in his word in Exodus chapter 3, verse 8, it says, God was saying this to his people, his chosen people. His chosen people, when you read about them in the Old Testament, relate to us, the church of Jesus Christ today. And I don't know your replacement theology, belief systems, but basically that's a simple way to say that. And God is basically trying to take us out of our old life and bring us to a new life. In the Old Testament, he was taking the people of Israel out of slavery into a place of freedom. He was taking people out of chains where they were identified by their chains to a people who were free. Amen? 
And so God says this to them, while they're in Egypt, a type of world, enslaved for 400 years, he says, I've come down to rescue you them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. So he's taking you out of one land and he wants to bring you into a new land, a land flowing with milkshakes and candy. Praise the Lord. The home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and all kinds of ites. Okay? And so basically what you see here is in the book of Genesis, it was all about beginnings. But in the book of Exodus, there's this departure from that old life where God is taking God's people out of there now on a journey. He's taking them on a journey. And while he's taking them out of, of um of Egypt, this pyramid, isn't this a nice graphic? He's taking them out of Egypt, again, a type of world. He's taking them on this journey to the promised land. This journey actually was about 250 miles long. Now, the promised land, some of you may not realize this, but it was a land, uh, it starts with the letter C. Can anybody ever remember the name it was? It was Connecticut, that's right, Connecticut. No, it was Canaan, Canaan, yeah. So on this journey from Egypt to the promised land, this 250-mile journey, this was supposed to be a a road trip where God was going to not kill them but teach them some stuff. And, and this road trip, basically, this, this thing relates to, in distance, it would be like going from Boston to New York. In fact, I was asking somebody, how long would it take you to go from Boston to New York? And one guy said, oh, about four and a half hours. Another guy said three hours. I was like, wow. Uh, I actually talked to another person. He said, like, 12 hours. And I was like, what do you want, a chariot, like a horse and buggy? Uh, so some people have some disparities over how they get there. But in this particular time period, there were no planes, trains, and automobiles, everybody. This was 600,000 people walking basically from Boston to New York, all right, 250 miles. Now, it would take, if they, if they were going direct, it would take about two to three weeks, two to three weeks, all right? But how many know it didn't take that long? It didn't take that long. It took 40 years. Turn to your neighbor and say, 40 years is a long, long, long time. So while they're in this journey, 40-year journey that should have taken two to three weeks, something happens. They get stuck in between Egypt and the promised land, Egypt and Canaan. And they couldn't quite get to the milkshakes and candy as quickly, the land flowing with milk and honey so quickly, because they faced many different detours along the way. Our whole series is going to be about these detours, okay? So when you read the Old Testament and you study and you, uh, you, you, you observe Israel's journey, you're going to see these stops along the way from here to here. The first detour that we're going to talk about is from bitter to better. We're going to talk about the bitter waters of Mara. The, the, the next detour, next week we're going to talk about kind of, this, this, was, this is where there was no water and, and, and there was a crisis because of that. This is where there's no bread, and, and they were complaining because of that, all right? And then the next detour, third week, we're going to talk about, am I going to quit or am I going to fight? This is about the Caleb spirit in Numbers chapter 13. I promise you, that's going to fire us all up in Jesus' name. Can I have an amen? But what happens is, for many of us in these detours, we don't know how to face them. We, we're, we're the same as sometimes the Israelites are. We are stuck in between what God took us out of and where God wants to take us to. 
We're in this, this kind of like when you go to a mall and you go to that legend in the mall to try to figure out where you are, to try to figure out where you're going, right? And, and the mall will say, you are here, you are here. But when you're in that place, sometimes we don't identify where we are, like the detours that come into our life. And sometimes it happens through relational things. Sometimes it happens through unpredictable uh, things. You get a call and somebody says, there's been an accident. I need you to come quickly. Or maybe you're, you're about to get married, but your fiance uh, says they need to have a talk with you. They want to call it off. And things aren't necessarily going like you thought they were going to go, and they want to change the engagement plans. Or maybe you get a call from one of your children, Mom, Dad, I'm pregnant. What happens when that which is normal is completely interrupted? changes the plans that we have. We all face detours like this, and our response to all of these detours can make the situation worse where we keep on going around and around and around, stuck in between. Is everybody tracking with me? Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm tracking with Pastor this morning. I get what he's saying. I get what he's saying. So what makes it even worse is most of us have a picture in our head of how we wanted this journey to go. We didn't want all these detours. We wanted to get from point A to point B literally right away. We didn't want to have to go. We wanted the direct path. We didn't want the long, drawn-out journey between all of those detours. But the reality is you're here. You're like, what is that? (laughs) This is a Google map of the desert of Sinai, okay? We're in the middle of where Egypt is, and this is Canaan, the promised land. This direct path would have been 250 miles, but instead, we're in this desert just going round and round and round from one detour to another, and sometimes when we hit those detours, it's rough. We didn't plan maybe on being sick with cancer at 40 years old. We didn't plan on being 50 years old, divorced with five kids. I know these are people that I know. I'm actually using examples of people that I know. We didn't plan on being almost 60 years old, unemployed with kids in college. We're, we're, we're here in this desert between what we believe God promised us in Exodus chapter 3, verse 8, and what we're actually experiencing right now. You're maybe in a desert experience right now. And, and, and I think the Israelites, like us, were asking, why can't you just give us some clear directions? Why didn't you just tell us how to go from here to here? Why did he take us on this long way? In fact, you can look in your notes in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, eventually, after all the plagues, you know that, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter I was seeing this in my study. I was like, look at that. He intentionally didn't give them the most direct route. He didn't take them on the most short or uh, immediate route, as it were. He was aware of this shorter route, but instead he intentionally leads us the long way. This is a song sometimes when I'm at the gym doing this stupid bike that kills me. I, I, it's called Take the Long Way Home. You know, is it what's like Super Tramp or something that sings that? I don't know. You know, and I like it because it's got a really heavy metal part to it. But, uh, but God didn't take us the long way to kill us. He was doing it to teach us. 
He was developing us for the giants that we would face later in life. He had to take us through the desert. He had Because he knew, he knew that we would circumvent or we would run back to Egypt. In fact, it says they might change their minds if, if, if I didn't give them, if I gave them that short route. If God gave us the immediate solution, if God gave us the microwave answer to our prayers, if God gave us exactly what we want when we ask for it, we would be a bunch of spoiled brats in a lot of trouble. And God knew that. And so he's, he said, you, you'd just go right back to the world. You go right back to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. See, he was trying to get you and I ready for battle. Sometimes the reason you're stuck, you have to change your perspective. He's trying to get you ready for battle. He's trying to get you ready, listen, for more problems. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. More problems. All right? So... What he did for Israel back then was he kind of gave them a, a divine GPS system. Initially, he gives them, this is what it says, by the Lord, but the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. So God provides this global positioning system or this God positioning system for the people back then. Man, it was great. Can you imagine if you were given this kind of support with trying to figure out what God is trying to do in your life? Let me just tell you something. He is. He does it different. Back then, he gave you, he gave you a cloud, okay? And so if you were guys were going to go buy a house and you got a realtor, back then, if, if you wanted to buy this house, there'd be a cloud over it saying, don't do that. And then if the house was right, there would be a, a fireball over that house. Yeah, you should do that. Guys, if you're trying to find, girls, if you're trying to find the right guy, and you go to a social, and you go to a party, and you see this, you see this girl, and you're thinking she's the one. And if there's a fire over it, she's the one. But if there's a cloud over it, imagine if all the clouds were over all the ugly girls, guys, everybody out there. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, but, but God used this system, this global position, this God positioning system to communicate with them. Back then, this is called a theophany. It's when God reveals himself physically to people. But God is tuning us differently. He, he reveals himself to us through his word. He reveals himself to us through counsel, through godly counsel, through the circumstances. And listen, he speaks to us from within as well. Dreams, interpretation of dreams. We need to learn to get on the frequency of God so we can find the path towards the promised land in our life. Can I have an amen? amen. So let's see kind of the first detour in our lives. Uh, let's go ahead here because I didn't show you the fire. There's the fire. All right. And so here's our next scripture. This is in your notes. Uh, verse 22 of Exodus uh, 15 it says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. Now, it's funny that's called the desert of Shur because it should have been anything but Shur. It was totally uncertain. <laughs> and in the desert of Shur slash hashtag uncertainty, it's amazing that in that kind of desert, you know what, you know what begins to grow in the desert of uncertainty? Bitterness. Because we thought it was going to be like something else than what we're actually experiencing. In that process, in that place, we begin, we begin to get bitter. And in this particular situation, in this desert of uncertainty, uh, you see for three days they traveled in the desert without finding what? Without finding water. Now we can go, science tells us uh, that we can go maybe seven days without water. But I don't know if you've ever gone a day without water before. Now if you're my wife, you can go several days without water because she's a camel. I don't know where she stores it all. 
If you're Deej, you cut you, you bleed, coffee. But some, most people, most people need water every day. If you took water from me for three days, how many know you're going to be a pretty angry person? You're going to be a frustrated person. It's going to be difficult. Okay, and so there are three days without water. And, and, and that's one of your deepest needs, by the way, is water. And when they came to Mara, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why it's called the place Mara. So the people, what? grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? So the first detour is the detour of bitterness, the detour of bitterness. Now, if you, you sometimes might want to judge these people because they start to grumble. They just gotten set free, you know, uh, you know, from, from, from Egypt, all these miracles take place. How on earth could they drum? How, how on earth could they grumble? But if you were, um, a child, how many of you were a child before? Okay. Praise the Lord. If you have children, anybody have children? Anybody gone on a road trip with your children? What are they like when you're on a road trip? I'm talking 20 minutes in. How much longer? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Dad, 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 dad. You know, you want to, you just, oh, you so badly. If your arm, your arm gets really long as a parent, doesn't it? Your backhand is awesome in tennis. You didn't know how, but that was how. And they're like, can I get, when can we, I need something to drink, I need something to drink. When we, can we have Chick-fil-A? There's no Chick-fil-A. And they're whining, they're pining. So anyway, they finally get to the water. They're thirsty. They drink it. Boom! That's disgusting. Front row, sorry, sorry. I, I forgot, I forgot my spiritual mothers were there. Oh, this is going to be bad. I can't look down. I can't look down. I brushed my teeth, I promise. They, they're the bitter, bitter waters. See, before, just a few minutes before, they're like, Moses is the greatest leader on the planet. I mean, look what he did with that staff. He had that staff, and he was just moving those waters around, and he was just telling people what to do. If we could just get towels here for the front row, that'd be great. And I'm so sorry, I didn't think that through. Um, <laughs> it's a spontaneous idea. I should have gone over there. Uh, staff, go to the staff, go to the staff. They're on payroll. Uh, Moses, Moses, Moses. These are tithers, that's payroll. Okay, I gotta get off this train. I gotta get off this train, all right? Moses is a great leader, but look, only just a few days later, they're like, you are the worst leader on the planet. How could you bring us out here into the middle of the desert, and we're just going to die of here of thirst, right? Let's look at how these people responded to this first detour, this monster of bitterness, because bitterness, listen, is relevant to all of us, because it's the number one relational killer. More marriages are torn apart because of bitterness, more friendships are torn apart because of business. More businesses are torn apart because of bitterness. Bitterness, you can see this. I don't know if this is in your notes. It might not be. But by the way, here's your big idea. God wants to take you from bitterness to blessing. But what gets in the way of this blessing that God has? Listen, I promise you by the end of this message, you're going to see. He can show you how in your desert where you are right now, he can turn that into a blessing. But you got to see some things right first. You got to unpack some things because basically bitterness is unproductive and it is also self-destructive. Unproductive and self-destructive. We think by holding on to that bitterness, we're hurting somebody else. The only person we're hurting is ourselves. 
It's, it, it leads us. Bitterness never provides the desired result. I think by being bitter, then I'm going to get this outcome. You don't get that. No. Bitterness is incredibly self-destructive without a doubt. Without a doubt, it only hurts you. It kills the dynamic of the relationship between you and God and you and others. And I'll get to why it does between you and God, which is the most important, but you and others as well. But even just from a physical standpoint, science tells us that it's one of the number one causes of health issues. Bitterness. Bitterness is a killer. And so God wants to take you from bitterness to blessing. But let's look at some of the causes. This is kind of the main text for today. Exodus 15, 22 and following are going to talk about this. What gets us stuck in the desert of bitterness? The first thing that causes us to get stuck in the desert of business of, of bitterness is unrealistic expectations. We all do this in, in relationships. We, we initially come into the relationship and it's like the honeymoon phase. You know what I mean? He completes me. We're on the same page on everything. We, imagine this. In all the world, we both like pizza. <laughs> like we say crazy things like it's unique or something like that, you know. I'm in this business relationship with this guy, and I swear to you, we are eye to eye. I mean, we have the same philosophy. We have the same kind of convictions. Our vision is perfectly aligned in friendship. Oh, this friendship is, we're besties. Uh, he gets me. She gets me, right? We go in with these unrealistic expectations, and that's precisely what they did with Moses. Moses is the rock star leader. Look at what he did. Look at how he did this. Only, only days later, they're complaining about him, and the dynamic has changed, and they're crumbling, and they're, and they're totally upset with who God has put in their life. See, you and I, we, we're trying to go into our relationships cloning ourselves, looking for someone just like us. But you are unique. God broke the mold when he made you. Amen. There's nobody else like you, so you can't approach somebody else thinking they're just like you. Thank Jesus. <laughs> right? So the thing is, when we think like that, then we think this is what happened to Israel. They think because of these unrealistic expectations I put on Moses and because we're able to part the Red Sea, come over it, see the Egyptians destroyed, we think now no more problems. We face this big problem, no more problems. How many know there's going to keep being some more problems in our life? And so they grumble, they complain, they whine, and they pine, and they just thought, you know what, it's over, we, 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 it, that should be in the past, but now it's happening again. Why is this happening? They confused, listen, the promised land with the perfect land. The promised land, this life, is not heaven. This life is not the perfect land. This life is about the promised land. The promised land is about teaching you how to live an overcoming life in an imperfect world. And we might as well accept that because if we don't accept that, we're going to continue to be complaining and grumbling and ultimately bitter. You know, I, I, I sometimes hate the fact that there's problem after problem after problem. But when I'm not where I need to be with God and when I don't have the right perspective, but when I'm where I need to be with God, I realize I'm in the problem-solving business. And God has equipped me to overcome problems. But when you go the other perspective, you go the other way, it's like dishes in the house. Now, I'm going to get relevant right here. You know, I come home from work. What do I find in the sink? Come on, everybody. Dishes. For the love of Moses, there they are again. And I clean up all those dishes, and I put them away, and I go to bed, and I get up the next morning, and I come out to the kitchen, and what do I find? Dishes. And I 
clean them up and I put them away and I put them on. And of course, I'm real loud about it because I want everybody to know dad is doing the dishes. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. And then I go to work and I come back after work and I go to the kitchen and what do I see in there? Dishes. Problems are just like dishes in the sink. They're going to keep coming. And if you're going to keep grumbling and complaining about it, you're going to have a miserable life. You're eventually going to get bitter. Amen? All right, here's the second thing that happens in the desert of bitterness. So the people grumbled, yeah, we'll get past that, is unmet needs. Unmet needs. Our greatest need physically is water. No doubt about it. You can't live without it. You can't live without water. God knows your greatest needs relationally. And if you allow bitterness to get in there, the bitterness of disappointment, the bitterness of unmet needs, it will destroy your relationship with God and with others. If you don't meet the different needs that God, in your spouse, in your relationships that God's put in your life, if you don't figure out what those things are, then people will go looking for other places to see those needs met. Unmet, we say this in counseling, unmet need gets met. The question is who or where. God wants to ultimately meet our needs so that we can help others meet their needs. Amen? Are you trekking with me? But unmet need can take us down. Here's the third thing that can happen in the desert of disappointment. Uh, I'm going to move on because you can read those scriptures on your own. Is unforgiven mistakes. Everybody say unforgiven mistakes. In verse 23 of Exodus 15, it says this. It says, when, 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 when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was what? Bitter. It was bitter. See, when we don't forgive, we're going to get bitter inside. Bitterness is a result of a lack of forgiveness. The place of bitterness is where most relationships go to die. There are a lot of monsters to marriage, a lot of monsters to relationships. Anger is terrible, but very few marriages or relationships are destroyed by anger. They can hurt it. Sometimes it can destroy it, but very rare. But I promise you, bitterness will always destroy relationships. Destroys it. Bitterness agenda is to kill the hope within a relationship. But the good news is God has provided for us a weapon that slays the monster of bitterness, and that weapon is forgiveness. Everybody say forgiveness. And so we want to get over this. How do we get over bitterness? It's through forgiveness. Through forgiveness. But before we can get over bitterness, we have to understand what forgiveness is. Forgiveness, what is it? It's a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice that just you don't have to do it just because I said so. The choice has an incentive to it, and that choice is healing. The choice, is, the choice is yours to make, but the incentive is healing for your sake. The choice is yours to make, but the healing is for your own sake. Forgiveness is a choice that heals. Jesus was talking to his, to his disciples in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. And, and he's teaching Peter in particular, and Peter comes to him. And I think Peter's trying to impress Jesus. I think, honestly, we know Peter's personality. He was a little bombastic. He put his foot in his mouth quite a bit. And he says, Lord, this guy sins against me. Uh, how many times should I forgive him? Seven times? Now, you might think Jesus was like, oh, seven times. Wow, Peter. I was thinking more like five. <laughs> Six, maybe. And I'm Jesus. But you th- thought seven and Peter's like, yeah, do I get a sticker? <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think that's what Peter was thinking. 
no, that's not what happened. Everybody say, no, that's not what happened, okay? So Jesus says, no, no. I like to insert parentheses, silly rabbit. No, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, that wasn't where you end at 40, 490, okay? He was just saying, you keep on forgiving. Peter's like, that's impossible. Yeah, Peter, yes, it is impossible. That's why you're going to need my help. That's why you're going to need my help. Because forgiveness is not a natural feeling. It's a supernatural choice. And every time that painful hurt comes or that, that, that tendency, that default to go back into that detour again, we choose, listen, by an act of our will to forgive, not by an act of our feelings to forgive. Not by an act of our feelings. What, to understand forgiveness, we also have to understand what it is not. So to appreciate what forgiveness is, let me contrast it with what it's not. It's not a feeling. Forgiveness is not about your feelings. I so badly want to sing a song right now because I haven't done it in a long time, but I, I'll try not to. Some of you know that song. It's just ringing in your ear right now. The, the truth is you're never going to feel like it. I've never felt like forgiving. Oh, I just can't wait to forgive you of that slap to my face. Thank you. Do it again. No. Nobody feels like that. How do you do it? You choose. You have this thing, this, this spiritual muscle that God gave you, and it's called your will. It's called your will. I can't. I just can't. I just can't forgive. I just, oh, I just can't. I just can't. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. I, I watched this with my parents growing up. I, my parents would have a, a discussion, a fight, right? And my mom, I could just, she's, ripping into, she's ripping into my dad. When she was ripping into my dad, she, his, his, his name is Ernest, but we always call him Ernie. But when you're angry, you call him Ernest. And so she'd be like, Ernest this and Ernest that and Ernest this. Meanwhile, in the background, while they're fighting, the phone's ringing. Ring, ring. Ernest, I'll tell you what. Ernest, ring, ring. Ernest. And then she'd be walking over the phone. Hello, Fry residents, can I help you? And I used to think, it's a miracle. Right before my eyes, she changed from a demon to an angel. How did she do that? It was her will. She chose to do that. We can, chose, we can choose to do it for selfish purposes to protect ourselves, to hide and cover up, or we can do it for the godly purposes of healing and uncovering ungodliness and protecting a relationship above rights and wrongs. Can I have an amen out there? So 70 times 7, he says. Well, God, so you can go to God with your feelings. You can be honest with him. God, I don't like this. They hurt me. I'm really angry. But I choose because you commanded it to forgive. I choose to follow you. I choose not to follow my feelings. Decisions lead. Feelings follow. And the supernatural accompanies that decision. Supernatural choice. Corey Ten Boom, uh, she was placed in a concentration camp. Some of you guys know who she was. And she was, she and her family used to shelter Jews who were being persecuted. And eventually, and they, 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 they saved many, many people. And eventually they were found out. So her family, a Christian family, was thrown into the concentration camps. And while she's in there, her entire family was killed. She lost everyone. She, she was the only one who survived of her family. And she was a Christ follower, and she talks about the grace and the mercy of God. And she never let it make her become bitter. In fact, she used to do great assemblies and preach all over the world. And one of these assemblies, at the end of the meeting, there was this guy in the line. And he wanted to speak to her. And as soon as she saw him, she recognized him as a guard 
who had committed many atrocities against her family and even her. And as she's seeing him, the emotion of anger and hatred and retaliation and hurt and all that, it just began to rise up inside of her as she's looking at him and thinking about all those things. And, and she wanted to punish him. She wanted vengeance. She wanted all those things. And, and, and this man said to her, she, he said, uh, Corey, I want you to know that I've become a Christian and I've surrendered my life to Jesus Christ and I've asked him to forgive me for all the sins that I've committed and I believe he has. But I'm going to ask you if you would forgive me for all the things that I did to you and your family. And in that moment, she had a decision to make that was not based on her feelings. It was based on a decision of the will that was influenced by the word of God. She said, I submit to God, God's law, God's ways, and I exercise my will. And she put her hand out there and she said, I forgive you. And as she said that, the compassion of Jesus Christ came upon her, and they began to weep tears, not of sorrow, but of, but of, but of surrender and of, of healing. It was a therapeutic, releasing moment between her and this man. See, the will influenced by the word ultimately will bring the supernatural intervention of God into your life. The healing that you're looking for is preceded by a decision that you make in your will. The cleansing tears can come. She later used to teach that forgiveness <clears throat> is an act of the will that can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. It doesn't matter the temperature of the heart. Your will can and needs to learn to develop itself to exercise the right decisions in those difficult moments. That's what we're learning in the desert. Is everybody with me? Okay, here's the next thing. Forgiveness is not minimizing the hurt. Sometimes we think as Christians, oh, you know, uh, because I'm a Christian, we go kind of Pollyanna a little too far this way, or we go the other way. Because I'm a Christian, I guess I'm just, I'm just supposed to, you know, just overlook it, just forget it. No, 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 no. No, you were hurt. What they did to you, what happened that day, what happened in those moments, that was evil. That was wrong. See, forgiveness is not minimizing the hurt or the pain or what happened to you. And then on the other side, sometimes people are saying, forgive, forgive. And you're thinking in your head, you just don't understand. You just don't understand. And I would just say to you, you're right. We don't. I don't. But God does. God understands. And he wants to be a part of that process with you. And I think sometimes on the other side, we think, if I just forgive and I'm going to somehow minimize this offense, I'm letting them off the hook. They're getting off scot-free. Listen, you're letting yourself off the hook. You're putting them on God's hook. And I promise you, nobody is scot-free. There are two things that God says you cannot have. You cannot have his glory and you cannot have his vengeance. In Romans chapter 12, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. So you re when you release, you let them off your hook, trust me, it's on God's hook. God is a just God. Everybody, everybody's going to get what come to them, but it doesn't come from you. Unless they repent and turn from their wicked ways, trust me, God's got it. You don't. You need him involved in the process. You're putting them on God's hook. Here's the third thing that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not the same thing as trust. It's not the same thing as trust. Trust uh, is different than forgiveness. Sometimes we get into relationships. We get into a business relationship and your partner cheats you. Or maybe you get into a marriage relationship and your partner cheats you. And as Christians, we think, well, I guess, I guess what you're saying is I'm supposed to forgive and I'm going to continue to love them and I'm just going to stay in this relationship. 
Or I, I, I'm going I'm to forgive my spouse for what they did. They, you know, they, after all, they said they were sorry. Or maybe even they didn't, but I'm going to forgive them and I'm going to stay in this relationship. No, 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 no. You don't have to get back into business or back into bed with somebody just if they didn't repent or just because they did repent. But you do have to forgive them. Forgiveness is instant. Trust takes time. Forgiveness is instant. You have a responsibility to forgive. Why? Because Christ forgave you. Colossians 3, 3, 13 says, we forgive just as Christ forgave us. So what did he forgive us of? A lot. What was the consequence of what we did wrong? Eternal separation. The penalty, death. He forgave you of that. And so that's why we forgive. When do we forgive? Right away. How do you do it? A decision of the will. What happens when you do it? You get healing and release when you do that because God accompanies that. Is everybody tracking with me out there? Okay. So what do we need to forgive? Let's get into this a little bit. We need the power of God in order to forgive. Power to forgive. Power to forgive. And I've sort of already taught this already, but you can't really do this without the intervention of God. But I want to show you where the intervention of God comes in. See, your natural man wants to get even. Your super, supernatural man uh, 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 wants to get over it. Okay? So we have, to, we have, to, we have these, this war between those two. But it's, the war is won when the will exercises itself and makes a choice. And as soon as that choice is made, it is accompanied by the power, the supernatural power of God. Here's what Moses did in his situation. When they were in this desert, it says, while they were there, bitter waters, everybody's grumbling, all the people are complaining. What does Moses do? He cries out. People who aren't where they're supposed to be, they complain. People who are where God wants them to be, cry out. He cries out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became what? Fit to drink. The majority of us, the reason we stay in the desert, the reason it's not two to three weeks, it's sometimes year after year after year that we struggle with these detours is because we're complaining Instead of crying out, what is the difference? Complaining is implicating God. Crying out is you can go to God with your complaint, but you're not implicating him. You can go to God and say, God, sorry for the, for the vernacular here. This sucks. This hurts. I'm angry. This upsets me. But you're telling me in your word that I'm supposed to forgive. I need your help right now. This hurts bad. Many who struggle with bitterness just don't believe that the person who hurt them is the problem. They believe behind that God is responsible. And so they're thinking, you know what? He could have stopped this. Why did he allow this? And see, when you make God your enemy, you make the only one who's able to help you out of the bitter waters uh, uh, an adversary instead of an ally. But if you cry out to God... You tell him you're hurting. You tell him you don't know what's going on. You tell him the pain is great. But, but, but God, you must see. You must know something I don't know. God answers prayers like that. Amen. God responds to prayers like that. And Moses cried out to God, and God answers with a tree. He answers with a tree. Ha, he answers with a tree. God showed Moses a tree. Listen, that was there all along. It was there the whole time. Moses dropped that tree into the water, and those bitter waters were made sweet. Could it be, could it be that the answer, the solution to the problems within, are you crying out to God first instead of complaining to God? 
You cry out to God and, and you ask him for his help and you ask him for his assistance and maybe God will provide something for you supernatural in the middle. Maybe he'll open your eyes to help you see. What are you going to see sometimes when you're crying out to God? You're going to see the cross. See, this tree that is spoken of in, in the book of Exodus is a foreshadowing of the ultimate tree. The ultimate tree where Jesus himself was crucified for your sins, for your pain, for your healing, for your provision, for all the things that you need in this life. That's why Jesus got on the cross and died the most gruesome, brutal death for the sins of humanity. The cure for all the pain in our lives is seen in and through the cross. He doesn't just care for you. He carries your pain for you. It's awesome. God used a tree to set them all free, and God uses a tree to set everybody else free in this world today. And you can't forgive more than you've been forgiven. So in order for you to be able to have that power at work in your life, you have to have a, an in-depth understanding, a revelation of how much God has forgiven you. See, sometimes I think in our salvation experience, we just bought the fire insurance. We just bought the get-out-of-jail-free car. We just got the, I just want to make sure when I pass from this life to that life, I'm okay. But we really don't realize what Jesus did for me. See, I'm no better than anybody else, whatever they've done. Whatever sin, whatever atrocity, whatever egregious thing that we see on the news today, according to God's word, my sin, one, one separates me from the majesty of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the perfection and glory of God. Jesus got on a cross for me. And I realized that the penalty of my sin, the wages of my sin is death. But the gift of God was eternal life. And because I was forgiven, I can forgive others as well. Have you experienced the forgiveness of Jesus? Are you certain about that today? When you accept that free gift, when you accept that undeserved grace for all your sins that were punishable by death, it's always going to be easier to forgive. Not easy, but easier. And then when that happens, listen, this is what happens. We begin to experience the blessing of God, abundant blessings. Not bitterness, but abundant blessings. In fact, in verse 27, look what happens to the people of Israel. It says, in just a short period of time, after those waters... Uh, were turned from bitter to better. Then they came to Elam. Everybody say Elam. Elam. This is the place of abundance. That's what that means. Where there were, th there were 12 springs. They went from no water to tons of water. And 70 palm trees. They went from no shade to total shade. And they camped there near the water. God has for you abundant blessing, but it is preceded by forgiveness, which is accompanied by the power of God when you make that choice. There was once no water. There was once no shade. Now there's an abundance of water and all the shade that is needed. Your blessing, listen, just like it was for Israel, could be right around the corner. Do you know that when they were at Marah, Elam was only five miles away? Five miles away. Your blessing could be right around the corner, everybody. But maybe you have to release something in order for that to happen. So I'd like you to do something. I'd like you to put your notes away. I'd like you to stand to your feet. I want to pray for you where you are. I hope this is ministered to some of you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. There's this great scripture from Micah chapter 7. This is taken from the message. It says, this is what happens with your sin, when you release that bitterness, it says, and compassion is on its way to you. He'll, you'll stamp out our wrongdoing. You'll sink our sins to the bottom of the ocean. 
That's the kind of God you serve when you release your bitterness. When you choose to forgive, God will remove your sins. As far as the east is from the west, he'll bury your sins in compassion. Put them in the deepest ocean so you never have to see them again. And you know what? He puts up a sign after this, no fishing. I'm not going to go back there again. I'm not going to go back there again. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, let me pray for you. If you're here today and maybe... You've never experienced the depth of Jesus' forgiveness for you. Ultimately, to be a Christ follower, the word would use the term saved. Another term would be born again. People who are saved, born again Christ followers, are people who realize they've been forgiven. And what precedes your release from the bitter waters of Mara, from bitterness, what precedes you getting out of this continuous detour, stuck, is being able to forgive others. And finding the, the, the power to do so starts with realizing how much you've been forgiven. And if you're here today and you've never experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, he wants to let you off the hook because Jesus got on the hook for you on the cross. 2,000 years ago? Have you said yes to him by confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believing in your heart? Those two things together, the Bible says you're forgiven. If that's you today with every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm just going to ask you boldly to raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to make sure that I'm in good standing with God before I go to God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, sir. That's awesome. Is there anybody else? God bless you, ma'am. That's awesome. Anybody else? Good night, so I don't miss you. Thank you, Jesus. If you're listening online, I just want to encourage you to pray with us. Church, would you pray with these people who raise their hand? And those that raise your hand, say this prayer. Say, say, Jesus, I invite you into my life today. I can't save myself. I believe you saved me. You got on that tree 2,000 years ago, not just for everybody else, but you did it for me. I receive that gracious gift of salvation. I believe that you lived a perfect life, a sinless life, that you died on the cross, that you rose on the third day, and you did it so I didn't have to die for my sins. You paid for them. I receive them right now in Jesus' name. Father, for every person who prayed that prayer, I pray that the bitter waters within their soul begin to turn sweet in Jesus' name. And for every person that's here today that is struggling with bitterness, I pray for revelation, knowledge for every single person. They got something today that enabled them to be able to release bitterness that's in their soul. Maybe something that's been there a long time, the, the Corey Ten Boom uh, story, it's hit them in the inside. They realize, I thought I was free. I thought I was free, but maybe I wasn't. And God said something to you. I believe somebody's hearing that word right now. God said something to you that, nope, there's something else I want you to release. I want you to release that. And I pray that you would accompany that decision of their will with the healing power of Jesus Christ. I thank you in advance, and I praise you for what you did in this service today. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap.